It's a cold, windy morning in downtown Reno, Nevada, and I'm standing on the steps of the Methodist Church. I'm waiting for a guy named Nando, who promised to meet me here and teach me how to make a bullwhip. Phil Corbett is one of Reno's most talented and better-known podcasters. In a recent episode of The Win Podcast, Phil explored last year's decision by the city of Reno to ban whips from downtown. I speak with Phil about the ban and what they found. Over the past few years, an unlikely culture of whip-making and whip-cracking has proliferated in the houseless community of downtown Reno. And during an exhaustive investigation of this world, I kept hearing one name. The best whip braider in town, Nando. First, however, the Washoe County Board of Commissioners recently approved a resolution that grants to the county manager the authority to provide county employees with public relations and legal support. That's up to $150,000 worth, and that's if they are feeling attacked, threatened, or people are making false claims against them. The commission approval of the item raised a number of questions about why employees want that and what's behind the measure. For This Week in Reno News, I am Bob Conrad with ThisIsReno.com. Washoe County Manager Eric Brown recently put forward the measure to offer employees legal and PR support if they are attacked by political groups or members of the public. The resolution came in the wake of lawsuits and allegations stemming from false claims of voter fraud at the county. Despite a number of claims, no lawsuit filed by far-right conspiracy theorists to date has been successful. But it's not just election concerns. Other county employees have faced false allegations to the detriment of themselves and their families. I spoke with Manager Brown about what's been happening. Yeah, so what what kind of threats have employees been receiving over the last couple years? Unfortunately, as you know, the, the, um, the environment with regards to how the public is treating uh, government or public employees has gotten increasingly hostile. Um, We have seen situations where uh, political parties have sent out mailers that have um, included false and erroneous information about um, some of our employees and and, uh, aspects of their personal lives. And um, we've seen um, accusations that employees were drug users or alcoholics, uh, those kinds of things um, can be very damaging to the families of the employees and the employees themselves. And Bob, I would say to you that um, we've seen a change in behavior, um, certainly at the county, where in some cases, very talented employees who should be candidates for advancement within the county organization. Choose not to do so because um, of concern that um, if they are uh, employed in a 
in a position of high exposure to the public, that they may have to contend with these kinds of attacks from the public that can be very damaging. And I, I, I want to be clear about it. This is not about uh, criticizing the performance of an employee. You know, if people think the county manager doesn't do a good job, they have the right to say so. If people think that we're not managing our elections properly, they have the right to say so. This has to do with um, the more hurtful, damaging character disparagement kinds of things that we have seen um, levied at uh, our employees uh, over the last year or so. And what would it look like for this kind of legal and public relations support? Um, I'm, I'm a little confused as to, I mean, are, if somebody says something bad about an employee that may not be true, um, whatever the case, then do you hire a PR firm for $10,000 and they make that go away? How do, what, what does that look like? The county has a, uh, a um, defined process right now for a, an employee to uh, contact or file a claim with the County Workplace Violence Committee. <clears throat> Workplace Violence Committee, as you may know, is made up of members from the Washoe County Sheriff's Office, our legal team, and DA's office, uh, human resources, uh, our, our security administrators on it, and there are members of the office of the county manager. So um, if, um, if we had an incident where um, somebody is being, an employee is being unfairly disparaged uh, by either a political party or an operative or a candidate. Um, the employee might be able to uh, file a claim with the Workplace Violence Committee. The Workplace Violence Committee would review the situation um, and make a determination of whether or not it rose to the, the level of harassment uh, potential intimidation, uh, character assassination, those kinds of things. I want to be clear about that. That process exists today. Um, what we would be talking about is just making sure that um, uh, if uh, the Workplace Violence Committee thought it was appropriate, they might uh, retain outside counsel to uh, represent the employee uh, if they should decide to take legal action against the offending party. Um, in some cases, it may not involve um, legal action. It may involve um, getting some help in terms of responding to the claims to clear the employee's name, clarify that the things that were being said was not true or were not true. And that, that might involve uh, more of a a media relations support kind of role um, because most of our employees may not know where do I go if I want to uh, reach out to Bob Conrad or other media contacts and let them know that the things that this person is saying about me are not true. I guess what's to, to stop uh, the county from doing that now? Um, is it a budgetary issue? Uh, you just don't have the authority didn't have the authority, and, and the, uh, the DA's office felt that um, 
in order for this to to uh, be implemented now uh, going forward that the county the commission needed to take specific action to provide that authority to the uh, county manager and the workplace violence committee you know there there is the law, the Mike Clark lawsuit and I'm uh, frankly a little perplexed uh, this seems very much work related and I and I'm perplexed as to why this one the DA's office or the county did not or was not able to uh, hire legal counsel to defend this uh, employee in the lawsuit. Why? Why is that? And would this measure that was approved on Tuesday change that? Uh, well, Mike Clark is a county elected official, so that's a good example. The DA's office uh, would be conflicted, um, so they could not represent the employee who was attacked against um, a county elected official. Uh, we would have to go out. We would have to go hire a third party um, legal representation in that in that case. Okay, so this employee then is stuck with having to defend their own lawsuit out of their own pocket up until now. Yes, that seems awfully egregious <laughs> that 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 could happen. That that could happen, and uh, that's what I mean by I think. Um, if you're um, somebody like uh, the people who choose to make these attacks, I think they feel that um, there's little consequence for them doing that. Now, you know, as I tried to explain in the commission meeting, if someone attacks an, uh, an, uh, if an elected official goes after another elected official, that's a different category. That's a whole different situation. But if they go after a county employee, um, then um, you know there, there should be some ability for the for the employee to have uh, access to resources to defend themselves and to um, you know, if necessary, uh, set the record straight on. Um, lies and misinformation that may have been been said about them, and I, I think it's important to to note, Bob, that you know some of the folks that were complaining in public comment on Tuesday were complaining about using taxpayer dollars to um, defend the interests of county employees. I would point out. Uh, they don't seem to have a problem with the likes of the county assessor who has um, uh, implemented the, the, the mailing that he did uh, last May, which uh, forced the county, uh, again, because of conflict with the DA's office, to go out and hire um, outside resources um, to... Um, um, to uh, represent the, uh, the the county's interest in, in that case. Those are taxpayer dollars because of uh, the actions he took. Um, so they don't seem to have a problem with that, but if I'm trying to make sure that the county protects its, its employee base from um, unfair and malicious claims um, that are not true, um, somehow, uh, that seems to be unacceptable. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Anything else you want to add about this? It's, uh, it sounds like it's been a pretty stressful couple years. It has, but I, you know, I, I, I would just add that I, I think um, I would want Washoe County employees to know that um, um, we're going to try to do a better job of representing their interests um, because it's important that, um, you know, if we don't take care of our employees, our employees can't provide um, the kind of services that our constituents and, and uh, taxpayers uh, expect from us. And, um, you know, at, at some point there has to be accountability for people taking irresponsible actions and saying and doing things that are just simply not true. Phil Corbett's The Win podcast recently received a major honor. He was kind enough to speak with me about it and the most recent episode of his podcast. Well, welcome, Phil. Uh, You recently, um, your podcast, The Wind, was recently selected uh, to participate in the Google Podcast Creator Program. Uh, I don't know what that is, Um, (laughs) (laughs) but it sounds very prestigious. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about it? And then we'll talk about your podcast, too, and, and what it is. Yeah, sure. So the Google Podcast Creator Program is a program that Google funds and runs in conjunction with PRX, which is the public radio exchange. Um, Most people would probably know them as the organization that distributes This American Life, Reveal, uh, The Moth Radio Hour, I believe, a lot of really big public radio shows. And so this partnership... Basically, they pick young podcasters, or in this case, middle career podcasters, and give them mentorship, give them uh, some, I think, classes, uh, financial resources, industry resources, that kind of thing. And yeah, The Wind was chosen to be among seven podcasts from all over the world. So it's just, it was picked out of, I think, over a thousand applicants. Wow. Um, Well, from what you're describing, this sounds like stuff that you're already extremely well adept in. I mean, you you were on the City podcast for an entire season, and... um, uh, why do you need help? I mean, you're like one of the top podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. That's, so the the cool thing is that the the first two or three programs focused on beginning podcasters. So it was for people who had a podcast idea, people who had uh, you know a podcast in its infancy and wanted to grow it into something bigger. Um, this year for some reason I'm not sure exactly why but they decided to focus on mid so-called mid-career podcasters. Um so they put out a call and basically said, you know, we're looking for people who generally know what they're doing with audio, with editing, with interviews, um people who have already had a podcast for a handful of years but are looking to make it more financially sustainable, more personally sustainable and that is what I'm hoping to get out of it. Um that's I'm flattered by that, but yeah, it's definitely, I could, you know, I can definitely use help and I think I have a lot to learn still, despite, you know, having done this for a while. Uh, So you you talked about um, sustainability. I mean, being a podcaster and making a living as a podcaster, I think are kind of almost two separate things. Yeah. 
um, most of us do not make a living off of our podcasts. And in, in our case, obviously, we do it sort of as an adjunct to our normal reporting to, I think, talk with folks and maybe get a different sense of depth about particular issues or stories. Um, it sounds to me like you want to make a go of this as a full-time career. Yeah, I mean, I also am in it to talk to people and get understanding of stories and to follow my just deep-seated curiosity about a whole bunch of different topics. Um, that said, it is something that would be cool if, you know, it could pay my rent. You know, that would be something that, you know, it's been a life goal to make some sort of art that is completely self-sustaining, but also true to its own form. Because um, right now I make I make a living by editing other people's podcasts. So it's, you know, a lot of work for other organizations, which I do enjoy and I do like, but it would be incredibly cool if, you know, I can walk out into the woods and make my podcast and it be something that, you know, sustains me and creates an engine through which I can explore new topics and hire new people and hire freelancers and that, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a big lift and, um, you know, trying to do that, a similar kind of thing with this is Reno. It's, it's been a seven year. Yeah. Although we've been doing the, the website since 2009, I've been doing it on a more full time basis for seven years. And um, monetizing your passion <laughs> yeah. is, uh, is not easy. Um, you do have to do things that, you know, I'll be honest, uh, will alienate some of your audience, like charging for content. Yeah. Um, and uh, some people don't realize, in my opinion, that uh, when you do that, that is the the thing that is necessary. Um, and it may not be necessarily democratic to do that, but it is from a financial standpoint what is needed in our current media ecosystem to make that kind of thing happen. Yeah, I, I mean, I think creativity and you know capitalism or our current financial systems are often at odds and it's really hard to thread that needle in a way that makes it you know feel honest and equitable for everybody involved from yourself as the creator to the people who are actually listening to it or engaging with your content for sure um well let's let's switch gears uh talk about the wind and what you have done with the podcast and what you um aim to do and perhaps uh, that we haven't covered already. Cool. Yeah. So The Wind is a podcast about listening that I make at a handmade desk in the Sierra Nevada. Um, and Like outside, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I make it outside. So, so you I edit found, it outside? I do. So it's, I guess it's a little complicated. I do all the voicing outside. Um, mm. I do a lot of the reading and writing outside some of the research. I mean, it really depends on the weather, of course. Um, and like the time of year that I'm producing. Um, but yeah, I, I do most of the work at a desk that I built out in the woods. You know, one thing that struck me in, uh, the, the most recent episode you did was about, uh, the whip ban in downtown Reno was you, you took a very, um, I don't know, maybe lack, for lack of a better term, kind of quirky issue. Um, I personally reported on it a, a few times when this whip ban came in front of the city council. But, I mean, you uh, very impressively, I have to say, uh, 
took that issue and went super deep. And I'm not going to give away any spoilers or anything like that, but I will say that uh, I was very impressed uh, what, what you did with that episode. So maybe talk about that. That way I don't have to give, give hmm. away what I, what I appreciated. Yeah, well, thank you, first of all. And yeah, I mean, it. even though it was a quirky issue, and I think, you know, the first few times I heard Whippers and, and realized that this was this little culture, I thought it was funny and interesting and weird and then kind of wrote it off. And, you know, it was just this thing that was happening. But the more I dove into that world, and especially as it became you know so when when it came before the city council as a thing that they would possibly ban it's just sort of blossomed to me as something that was a proxy battle that was not just about bullwhips or about the noise even that they made but it was also about who is allowed to take up sonic space you know and like how the city responds so unevenly to certain complaints and not others and how they weigh the rights of, you know, certain people and not other people. And so I think that that was what was so fascinating to me about the story and why I just obsessively reported on it for a few months was just because every time I talked to somebody, it seemed like I got more information, but also more insight into why this became a thing in Reno. But one thing that, that you've touched upon that was really striking to me is essentially this whip ban was aimed at uh, or, or was targeting um, people experiencing homelessness uh, who, based on what I, I heard from the episode, um, was, were the folks who, uh, by and large, were drawing the complaints yeah, pretty much entirely, uh, because there was actually the first version of the law was citywide, and then they reined it in to basically just draw a box around downtown and say, you know, our you precious can't. downtown. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so, and this came up a few times, like Jenny Breckis said in the one of the hearings or in one of the uh, city council meetings, you know directed towards the lieutenant who is presenting this law was, hey, I understand this to be about homeless people. Everybody I talked to says it's about homeless people. Is this about people who are experiencing houselessness? And, you know, the guy said, well, not really. No, it isn't. You know, we're getting calls all over the city about this. And then by the end, it's, you know, pretty clear that those are the folks who are doing it. And I spoke to, that was one of the questions I asked to, I asked to every one of my interviewees and all of them said, you know, like, yeah, there's a few people who aren't homeless that are doing this, but for the most part, it's unsheltered people. And this is like a, an integral part of a subculture of unsheltered life in Reno. Yeah, and is it unique to Reno? Um, I know you went out of market to explore the issue too. Um, what what did you find from other perspectives? Yeah, so one of the things interestingly that that was brought up in the city council meetings was that this had also happened in Hawaii, 
So there was a city council ban on the island of Kauai that, or I'm not sure if they call it city council, but you know, the island government um, banned it there. And I spoke to um, somebody in city government there who said it was basically one or two guys that were doing it outside city hall and they didn't like it. So they banned it. Um, But other than that, it's, you know, it just wasn't really a thing within unsheltered communities in the West coast. And there were a few people at the end who told me that, you know, they were seeing them in Oakland. I heard a guy say that he thinks he saw a bullwhip in Portland, but for the most part, it was like, it was a thing in Reno that these people were making de- learning how to make DIY whips. You mentioned that uh, this uh, issue was drawing uh, complaints, um, but you found something pretty interesting about who was making the complaints. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I was able to obtain about four hours of 911 calls through a public records request, and they covered all of the audio over the last the six months from when I requested it backwards. Um, and I found that a huge amount of the complaints, like a majority, were from the two, I believe it was a majority anyway, but a huge amount of the complaints were from Park Tower and... Uh, I'm spacing on the name, the one that's just south. Arlington. Arlington Tower, yep. So just north of Wingfield Park. So Park Tower and Arlington Tower is where most of the complaints were coming from. And a lot of the complaints were coming from the same few people. So as I was listening to this four hours of 911 calls, I just started to recognize voices as like, oh, that's this guy that lives here. And he would call, there was like one guy who called, you know, four times in a, in a 10 day period. One thing that I've noticed um, with the city is they, they've said repeatedly that they're, uh, the way to get action, essentially, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, is, is that uh, they have a complaint driven process. So what I've kind of picked up from you now is that the same one or two people can call a dozen times. And the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? Um, mm-hmm. So now this, now we have an ordinance that's basically targeting um, people experiencing homelessness in Reno, Nevada. Um, a, a corollary that I've seen, and this this is in city council meetings, um, they they talked about why the Record Street shelter can no longer be used, and one of the reasons they gave was, well, it's the one of the the one of, if not the most um, cited locations for calls for service. Okay, fair yeah. enough. That okay, I get I get that rationale. However, um, and I think that you kind of allude to this. Um, the other two locations uh, for calls for service in Reno that n- have never really gotten any airtime or any city council hearings are the Grand Sierra Resort and the Pepper Mill Casino. Hmm. Uh, that came out in the Reno Police Department performance audit that was not really publicly released, nor was it discussed. And uh, it seems to me like we're driving our policy locally based on who's the loudest and complains the most. Is that a fair way to put this, or am I completely way off base with this? That was my experience in reporting on this specific topic, absolutely. And I think... It was really illuminating as well to hear these 911 calls, which I don't, 
I don't know if most people realize that those are publicly available and recorded. So it's people talking pretty candidly about their experience. And, you know, I mean, they're using really upsetting words to describe houseless people and, you know, using like just gross phrases and just real like heartless stuff, in my opinion. You know, I mean, referring to people as... I'm trying to remember all of the words. Like vagrants and yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty, you're right, it was really gross. It was very yeah, dehumanizing. And like, very dehumanizing, incredibly dehumanizing. And there was like, you know, the one guy who threatened to go like wrap one of the whips around the guy's neck because he was a dirtbag or whatever. And Right, and the dispatcher yeah. said, uh, probably don't do that on this line. On this public line, yeah, this is yeah. recorded. Yeah, what and the heck? Yeah, and so it was like, it was really illuminating to see because I was doing a lot of this reporting after the the decision had been made. And so it was surprising to me that those 911 calls and those types of complaints were clearly placed above the advocacy for the houseless people that there was not, it, it didn't matter if there was more of either. It just mattered that one was louder, you know, and the complaints against them were louder than the, the people that were fighting for them. Is there anything else uh, before we hang up today that you would like to add about your podcast and what you're doing? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think um, if you want to find me, I'm at thewind.org. And then I also do have a two-minute segment on KUNR on Thursdays at 6.42 a.m. and 8.42 a.m. So if you're a, a public radio listener, I'm there for two minutes every Thursday. So, Well, congrats on the, on the Google uh, honor. That's, that's a, big, a big deal, and, and it's well-deserved. Thank you, Bob. Really good to talk to you. That's it for this week in Reno News. Please visit us online at thisisreno.com and listen to us on 97.7 KWNK Community Radio. Thanks for listening.